Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Van Maren Show. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and today I'm going to be having a discussion with two filmmakers. And these two filmmakers have produced a documentary on how to get free from pornography called Into the Light. This is a documentary. You can find it at intothelightdocumentary.com. Let me just give you their biographies. Jacob Volk has worked various roles in advertising and film in Toronto for five years. He has a degree in advertising from Mohawk College and a BA in Humanities from Brock University. He co-produced the documentaries Ordinary Commission and Into the Light and runs a podcast, Chats Under the Sun. He is working on an MDiv at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, where he lives and works at the Recenter Homeless Shelter. Jacob enjoys writing music and shredding snow-covered slopes. John Michael Bout studied at Brock University with a BA in Classics and is working on an MDiv also in Louisville, Kentucky. He has worked on several film sets, co-produced Ordinary Commission and Into the Light, and was a landscape foreman. He is married to his lovely wife, Jessica, with their one-year-old son, Roman, and another on the way. John Michael enjoys playing bass, spike ball, and reading thick Russian novels. This documentary, I really do think, is an achievement. It is a phenomenal way for churches to open a conversation on pornography. And so we're going to jump directly into a conversation here. I started the recorder about 15 seconds too late. So here are the young men introducing themselves. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. I found it very enlightening and encouraging. Yeah, a little bit about yourselves and then what kind of started you on this journey to making a documentary about porn, which is not something I suspect you thought you'd do when you were younger. Uh, what got us into this topic? Um, I came across pornography when I was around age eight. So very, very young. And yeah, quickly that process of curiosity turned into an addiction that I kept secret for nearly a decade. And yeah, by God's grace, I grew up in a really good family with parents who taught me to love the Lord, taught me his word. And even in that context, I was, I came across pornography. So yeah, very quickly, I started developing this double lifestyle of uh, living a, a good front on one side and then fostering and growing a love for pornography and addiction for pornography in the dark. So yeah, by God's grace, my journey out from there was uh, when I was around 16, I started hanging with some really good older Christian guys who image what it was like to follow Christ with consistency and to love the Lord in the way they actually live their life. And yeah, by God's grace, I remember one time hanging out with them, in my parents' garage, and they were sharing about how God was working in their lives at a purity conference they'd been to. And I just remember thinking, man, if you don't open up about this right now, if you don't confess your sin, you never will. And you will remain a hypocrite living this double lifestyle uh, for the rest of your life. So by God's grace, that was the first time I like properly confessed my sin uh, to anyone. And really for the first time, properly confessed my sin to God. Um, and yeah, that was when I could start saying in truth, I love the Lord. Um, from, from there, I took life renewal, uh, which is an amazing 12 step program, uh, in the Niagara region and joined an accountability group and God gave me freedom from pornography. Uh, so praise God. And it was in that context where I started spending a lot of time with other guys who were struggling with this sin and just realizing, man, we, there's so many good books out there but people aren't picking them up and reading them like we need other resources to address this huge problem 
totally. Yeah. Um, this is Jacob here. I grew up in a very, a very, very similar context. Um, the one difference is by God's grace. And because of my mom, who really talked to me about pornography from a very young age, I never got hooked on pornography proper. And I'm incredibly grateful for that because that's a rare, rare story for people um, in my age. Um, but I was completely addicted to masturbation and, and that kind of sexual fantasy in my mind for most of my teenage years. And so that was something that I also had to, um, again, through really good friends, uh, work through and confess that sin to God and, and, you know, break free from that addiction. And so around that topic, you know, from a Christian point of view, there weren't many good resources. And I kind of use that ambiguity to just like live in sin. And so that kind of, again, it took a lot of reading and a lot of really thinking with good people to really kind of convictionally come to, to clarity on that. So, and then a lot of around the same time, Jim Michael and I were like, getting convicted. We want to do ministry work. We want to, you know, go to seminary. And so, and then, you know, while we're working with guys in, in accountability groups and, and being in accountability groups ourselves, and that kind of took me to, to Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And I got a chance to talk to Tim Challies and Tim wrote a really good book, a little book uh, called Sexual Detox. And during that conversation, Tim's, Tim's really, uh, he's a really great guy. And he kind of laughed and he said, you know, the book's fine, but there's better books out there, which is, you know, was funny and takes a lot of humility. And then he said, you know, it's interesting to me that we have this problem of pornography and in answer, we typically write books. He's like, there might be some space, I don't know, for a video resource on pornography. And he kind of mentioned it offhanded and he didn't know that Jamichael and I worked in film. And you know, that kind of just got our, or my brain rolling. I called you, Michael, and said, hey, like, we're both passionate about, about fighting against pornography. We have these skills in video. Let's think about this for a little bit. And we realized really quickly that, you know, we shouldn't be in this documentary. We need to reach out to the, the best speakers, the best authors, the best counselors we know of, the people who have written the books that have impacted us the most, and see if they'd be willing to be a part of it. And so for anyone who's, who's watched the documentary, you know, there's six like key uh, people in there and they walk through that process of change from bondage and sexual sin to freedom in Christ. And that kind of, that conversation in late 2021 kicked off almost a year and a half now of us, of us, you know, um, filming, fundraising, writing, scripting, all, all the, all the fun things that go into building a documentary. So, and then we're here, we just released it a couple of weeks ago. And uh, really, really grateful. So I, uh, yeah, I watched it, and and I and I really think it's 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 an incredible piece of work. I I had pretty high expectations because of the people who had been telling me um, that they really appreciated it, but it actually exceeded the expectations and how watchable it is, um, and how powerful it is. And one of the things I, I've been wanting to ask is, this is a really broad topic because the thing about digital pornography addiction is that it's not the worst sin out there, but I find it makes every single thing worse. 
and and pornography kind like so mm. so if, if, if there's marriage problems pornography is going to exacerbate them create them make them more awful pornography kind of twists the way the way that the mind works it makes you incapable of of being the man or woman that you should be it makes you more impatient more petty more mean um and then on, on a on a social and cultural level which is what i spend a lot of my time researching and writing about um pornography is contributing to sort of the mainstreaming of sexual violence in the romantic context you got people both that the rate of sexual assault is going down. The reality is, is that it's going through the roof. It's just now under the guise of consensual activity um, that, that's permissible. And so the documentary is quite long, although I, when I got to the end of it, I'm like, oh, it was that long. It didn't feel that long because the pacing is really well done. I think the stories are spliced together really well. But how did you decide what to keep in the documentary and what not to put in there. Because at the very end of the documentary, when you kind of flash through a whole bunch of uh, of stories there, I definitely got the sense that you had a mountain of material that you had to leave on the cutting room floor. And you also had to be picky about which topics you were going to decide to address. Yeah, no, that's totally right. It's when we were walking into this, we we're like, there are so many things we could cover and we want to cover just a few things really well and not kind of just do a shotgun approach. So based a little bit in the origin story, one of the things that we felt really burdened by was the conversation about pornography in the church has progressed a lot in the last 10, 15 years, by God's grace. And a lot of it is on the problem. And we started realizing, you know, we need to pick up the conversation on what does real change look like? And again, that's something that I've had many conversations with men and women on is okay, I know pornography is wrong, like as a Christian, and I hate this, but what does real change look like? I don't know what the boots on the ground, uh, steps and heart uh, dissection that needs to happen to find freedom from this sin. So we decided let's make a, a video resource that directly addresses that person and just starts right at the beginning. You don't know like anything about change uh, and then walk all the way through the steps to freedom in Christ. And like, we, we would have loved to have talked to marriages specifically or into some of the dynamics of guys versus girls or all sorts of other areas that we could have gone, but we decided we really need to focus on just the simple yet difficult change process of finding freedom. And in a lot of ways, a lot of ways it, we're not in the documentary, we're not covering any new ground at all because we're just trying to synthesize and capture the essence of the books that these speakers and authors have written, but really translate that into a documentary form. And yeah, so that's actually a very, very, a very, a very helpful description. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's a very much a counseling resource for the person in the pews who's never going to pick up finally free or never going to pick up sexual detox or never going to pick up, you know, any of any of these incredible books that we hope they would. But the reality is, is, all the attention span stuff. So it's really fun. I I'm we're grateful for you for like the cultural analysis and writing that you've done. That's right. And, but we knew that, that a lot of that kind of stuff we couldn't tackle in this documentary because it would have made it to do a whole section on cultural analysis first would have made it pretty cumbersome. You know what I mean? So we had, we had to get a pretty tunnel visioned in our approach for this film. Yeah, no, and I agree with what 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 Tim Challey says about books. Your your audience is limited to people who read books for starters. 
And then mm-hmm. you're limited inside that to people who will read a book about pornography or at least a book that includes um, an analysis of pornography. But f- for those listening, I, f- I find now that uh, the churches like, in general, across the board, and this isn't denominationally restricted, fall into two groups of people. And it's those who are in denial that the problem is as bad as it is. And then it's it's a group of people who know it's that bad and don't dare talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like I think I gave my first presentation on this at a United Reformed Youth Camp in 2011, I think. Um, and since then, I've we've I, I've seen it um, like a major shift from um, if you take a look at at, at porno- pornography addiction back then, the average age was people 13, 14, 15. They're starting to hit puberty. They're starting to get interested, and that's how they're getting hooked. There were some people that got um, like that got got uh, hooked on it younger, but usually it was sort of early teens. Now the kids that I talk to in reform circles, most of them it's five, six, seven, grade mm-hmm. six. I would say is the average. I spoke at an ARPA conference a while ago, and the one kid calls me, and he's fifteen. I said, "How long have you been hooked? Ten years." Um, and that's happening all the time now because Mm. technology is so ubiquitous and everybody has it. And I feel like the kinds of presentations I used to give 11 years ago, 12 years ago are different than the presentations I give now for a, for a bunch of different reasons. First, the culpability of a five-year-old getting hooked on pornography is not the same as the culpability of a 14, a 14 year old who knows he shouldn't be looking for this stuff in the first place. And when he's looking at it, knows he shouldn't be right. You've been morally formed enough at that point. Um, if you, if you've grown up in a Christian home, a reformed home that you, this is not something that you should be up to. This is not something you should be doing. Um, how do you start to approach, uh, uh, the reality in a church where, I would suspect, based on the, what I'm getting from teachers, from principals, um, from consistories, and just from from church leaders in general, that it's the majority of kids who are getting exposed young, and most of them are staying hooked. Like I spoke in a reform school, uh, one of the ones last fall. I think I did. I forget how many schools I did last year, um, but uh, like the school counselor told me that every girl, grade eleven and up, um, was struggling with pornography. Like not not like most, but all of them. Wow, man, that's uh, it's sobering, eh? And yeah, and yeah, what? Because the like kind of what you said about the culpability thing is difficult too, because you're hitting people who are so entrenched in this, <clears throat> and it's been part of their walk for so long that it it becomes like, and this is, I mean, this is true for so many of our peers too, like in the accountability groups we're a part of, like they're battling a sin that they've, they don't remember a time where they weren't watching pornography. And so, yeah, I don't know if we're really equipped like Jamichael and I, and this resource to kind of hit at that level, if that makes sense, because kind of like you said, there are still churches that are that are just cracking open that conversation and trying to find like that first level of resource. So this, the, the documentary, one of the strengths that we think it has is that can really get a lot of like an entire church on the same page if the church was to watch it. And so that can really start the conversation and hopefully then point people to books where they can keep going to like, keep, you know, further understanding. But the reality is, is for people who have been battling with with it that long, they need to first have the conversation where they're being real about that and then get into accountability groups and 
structures like that and really start like addressing the, that deep level of change. And that's just going to take time. That's going to take time. And it's going to take time in community with like mature Christians walking alongside you. And those kind of structures are just where the local church has to step in. And then potentially also like professionals, like addiction professionals and stuff like that, which is a whole other like conversation of how you mesh the local church with that together. But I mean, there are definitely people we've we've talked to and, and read about where, you know, the, that level of addiction, getting hooked at hard at six years old, seven years old, it takes real professional help to work through that. Well, you don't even know what your brain would have been like without it at that point. Totally. Yeah. One of the reasons like I'm thrilled about getting a resource like this into churches and accountability hands is because like, even in my own story, I went like, I point back to when I started to kill pornography in my life as where my testimony started to come alive. And I think that's just one exciting thing that we could encourage churches with. Like as you help young people and older people kill pornography in their lives and hearts, you will also see the Holy Spirit working and growing a love for the Lord, a desire to serve him, to be part of the church community. And there's that beautiful relationship of killing sin and then feeding uh, a love for the Lord. And that's like, that's really exciting and hopeful as well to offer to churches. Do you think uh, that at this stage in 2023, it's the majority of people who are struggling with it when they're young? I would assume that usually to be honest, yeah. walking into a conversation, that's my basic assumption. Yeah. No, it's mine too. I was just wondering if that's where, where, where you guys were coming from as well. Yeah, for sure. Especially younger. Especially yeah. if, if, if I'm talking, if I meet a 15 year old who's in the church, a thousand percent, he's watched pornography where his particular struggle is. He might have really good parents who are walking alongside him. He might have like all the accountability set up. It might be something he's like kind of tangentially battling with. Or he's neck deep in, I don't know, or she, for that matter. Like, I, that's one of the things about the documentaries we, for men and women, which we can talk about if you're, if you're interested. But, I, you know, it's possible some 30, or 30 40 year olds just never had to deal with this. But certainly anyone our age and younger, that's just for sure. That's a given. So there's a couple of things about this documentary that I, well, I, I, again, I liked the whole thing. There was a couple of things I particularly appreciated as well is that I've, I have one of my struggles with, with dealing with this issue uh, in the context of, of trying to get leadership schools, et cetera, like serious about it and then serious about doing something about it is that so often I would find that people would spiritualize the issue in order to excuse not doing something like, mm. no, we really need to pray about this. Very true. That's not a replacement for covenant eyes. That's not a replacement for radical amputation. If that's what's necessary, it's not a replacement uh, for accountability. And so I, I, I had started actually a couple of years ago to get very suspicious and cynical about about whenever whenever spiritual language started to become pervasive in the con in the conversation it was almost always leading up to and that's why I don't need accountability God holds me accountable and they and you know without fail they would always fall it would affect their marriage again and so mm -hmm. it, I would start to but this documentary does not do that and in fact um, I forget his name it was one of the very last interviews where he's kind of talking about the, he's got three guys that are keeping him accountable he's got a phone that's almost completely dumbed down his wife has to let him install an app. And so he wasn't even really making the point that this is all the stuff I had to do. It was just so much part of his story that you very much got the impression that in order to have freedom, you're going to have to restrict 
a lot of other things. And that message right. was pervasive throughout the documentary, which is mm. something that I found uh, very helpful. So I'd like to kind of hear both of your guys' takes on this is in this sort of culture where sexual imagery is basically omnipresent at this point, that in order to not be exposed to it, you have to make deliberate and conscious decisions daily in order to protect yourself from it. Um, with all these people that you interviewed and all these people whose expertise you tapped into, what was their sort of consensus about, practically speaking, um, while being prayerful, while being spiritually minded about this, here are the things that you are going to need to commit to in order to um, sustain the freedom if you've achieved it? Yeah. I mean, they were all like Deepak Reju who takes chapter four, which is kind of the section of the film addressing radical measures. I love the way he puts it as far as balance is he'd say, we have to put boundaries, walls around our, around ourselves because we're sexually, we have a sexually crazed heart. And he said, and while we need to do the heart digging, what's going on there, it doesn't mean we don't cut off access like these things work beautifully together. And when we try to pit them against each other, we, uh, it, it's just, it's problematic. These things work together. And that was just something I noticed across all the speakers. They never tried to pit radical cutting off access against heart work and digging into your own motivations, why you would want to go to pornography in the first place. Those always go together. And I think we, we have to think about it that way if we're going to cut off access and get rid of sin. Yeah, you're, man, you are not fighting sin if you're not putting in measurable, specific, well, like documented, if you want to, like well attested spiritual practices. You're just not fighting sin then. And again, like, like we never want to pit quote unquote praying about it against anything else because prayer is just a deep, relevant part of the whole process. It should be pervasive. You, yeah. Exactly. But you need to be clocking weekly time in with an accountability group to hold you accountable. You need to be, have guys in your life who've got those, the passcodes to your phone that are locked down. You need to have those things. Like that is, that is a absolute, it's a non-negotiable and it's non-negotiable. I think for almost everyone in the Christian life for different levels of sin and things you yeah. struggle with, like we're both in accountability groups, Monday night, every single Monday night, we walk in, we talk to these guys about how our weeks went. Um, we are like accountable each other's for each other's technology and other people. Like we are enmeshed in a web of guys because we're guys who are committed to each other's integrity, growing in holiness and calling each other out on sin. And we need that. Like we're not foolish enough to think that we can just soldier on through this thing by ourselves. That's right. It's, it's not trying to create some new legalistic law, but it's submitting to wisdom and I think it's also a mark of real repentance is willing to say, I'm not strong enough. I need to have inconveniences in my life because that's what's going to take. And submitting myself to the accountability of others and to not having a phone that does maybe everything that I want it to do. I think that's wisdom and that's humility. Yeah, I'm curious for, for you, Jonathan, what's, what's your thoughts on why you kind of get this apathy from leadership? Like, what are, what are your, some of your analysis of that situation? I have a bunch. Um, so you, you get the legalism argument a lot. And it's interesting because I was actually getting mis mixed up about which speakers were from which documentary. Because the same week I watched yours, I watched the one on the Puritans. 
Um, and there's a quote in there that I thought was very applicable where, uh, um, one of one of the one of the pastors said uh, that um, legalism is anybody who takes holiness more seriously than me. Um, like this is this, <laughs> this is sort of the phrase that we use to 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 make people say like you know just I can do this I can do whatever I want. I've gotten three or four different reactions from leadership. I would say five years ago the majority of them thought I was exaggerating and would tell me that to my face that it's not like mm. yes pornography is there yes it's sinful yeah they all knew a few people but when I would give the numbers that I give. Um, and when I would lay out uh, examples of, of, of what's going on inside reform communities, most of them would assume that this is not something that is, is as pervasive. I remember one guy who helped organize the presentation told me, I don't think this is that big of a problem in, in our community, but I do think pornography is wrong, so it can't possibly hurt. I wish I could have told him that one of the people who committed to quitting porn after hearing the presentation was his kid. Um, I like I've got so many stories like that. It's it's just crazy. Now what I find is 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 two two other reactions. One where they'll bring I see my role as somebody speaking about pornography to walk in and to pull like, you know, tip over logs and shove over rocks and expose what's going on. And then I walk away and the local church takes care of it. Right. They, they, they create these groups. They create accountability. Like my job is to start a conversation that shouldn't stop uh, at that point. And a bunch of churches are ready for that. But a bunch of churches just want kind of like, you know, parents want to do the sex talk. Like, we'll talk about this once. It's going to be uncomfortable for all involved. And we're never going to talk mm. about this again, as opposed to opening up a conversation in which you can communicate mm. um, about these things. A lot of a lot of churches are kind of like, okay, you come in, you tell us why porn is bad and what you need to do to set yourself free. And then you'll leave and we'll just not talk about that awkward evening where we talk about the thing we hate talking about. You know what I mean? I find it's getting a lot yeah, better. Totally. And because unfortunately it's getting better because it's so impossible to ignore now. And I think what's been really jarring for church leaders is the number of women coming forward. Um, totally. And that's kind of like, okay, this is everybody now because even 10, 15 years ago, like the rates of female addiction were way lower than they are now. And now they're the last couple of places that I've, I've spoken at reform communities. It was approaching parody um, in terms of the guys yeah. and the girls, like it just becoming sort of a, almost a coming of age of ex experience that just people go through. Dude, that's one of the most interesting things. Um, so in this documentary, right, one of our initial absolute convictions was that we want to address men and women struggling with pornography. And we want to have, um, and we ended up having two incredible authors and biblical counselor women kind of sitting alongside the guys speaking, um, you know, part of the process and also encouragement to women. And then we have in the end, we have testimonies uh, from women. We wanted to do that partially like to shatter that any last remnants of, the, of this idea that this is just a man's problem. Because it might have been 10 years ago. Like you said, it's not now. With Playboy, like, it was. Like when they did the market research for the original totally. porno magazines, yeah, it was all guys. That's <laughs> not true anymore, though. Yeah. And um, yeah, and so it's like we we that's kind of our, our heart for the resource. And one of the odd things that we've found on a personal level is we get pretty regular DMs on Instagram from women who like sometimes for the first time, or maybe just really feel burdened to share a little bit of their story. And one of the common things that they recount is that they're like, yeah, I, I have never shared this with people. I'm scared. I don't, I don't know who I can talk to in my church. And so our heart kind of goes out to them because if you, if they haven't been included in the conversation as someone who suffers from this, then they're also not being included in the conversation that Jesus 
saves you from this. Like you are a sinner along with the rest, deserving of the same God, the same like justification. And so, you know, if you, if you don't talk about someone of the sickness, you're also not offering them the help. And so that's, that's hugely damaging for churches to not include women as like fellow sufferers, if you will. And I find a lot of people still don't believe me when I talk about the number of women who yeah. are suffering from it. I, I would say that the normative thing is like, they might not contradict me, but I know they don't believe me and I can tell in the way they're responding. Right. Or even in how they advertise a presentation. We've even had it like when we were calling initially just saying, Hey, this resource exists and we're making it. Uh, we had churches just say, Oh, we don't need that. That's not a problem in our church. Just point blank. Like that's not a problem. It's like, Oh man, there's still a lot of work to be done here for yeah. sure. So there's a couple of other things that I wanted to kind of um, I'll get your guys' thoughts on a corollary to the documentary and then questions that I think the documentary brought up. One of my uh, so some of the stuff is I'm just spitballing based on all of my conversations because I've probably had over a thousand conversations about this in our circles at this point. Um, and one of the questions I kind of have is one of the frustrations is, is I really like how the the interviewees kind of modeled again the extreme nature. Uh, of recovery in a lot of ways in terms of what you have to limit. And on one hand, I always think like I'm 34 years old and I didn't need like a smartphone for all this kind of stuff. Like the things that are necessities now, my, I don't, I think it's fair for me to say that I'm not that old and none of the stuff was around when I was a kid. And, but everybody acts like they're physically chopping off their arm if they can't access an app that didn't exist 10 years ago. Um, so there's on one hand there's that, but then there's other things that I've noticed. So like, I'll, I, I, I can give you a couple of examples of, of people that are unwilling, I find often to cut out things that enable the addiction that I think are necessary. So I'll name two. One of them is, you know, a lot of people enjoy a drink once in a while. And the number of guys I know who had just a drink, you know what, they're, they're not over drinking, uh, they're, they're not engaging in drunkenness, etc. But it lowers their inhibitions enough that their guards down and they're back on porn. But they won't like, and I'll point this out, right? Like, well, one of the reasons you fell is because you let your guard down. And so there was nothing wrong with that. I don't think there was anything wrong with you sitting down and having a glass of bourbon with your buddies. But when you got back home and you were already tired and you did a long evening and then you had mm. that drink, your resistance was lowered enough that you were going to, you've got to like, that's why you have to not have that glass of bourbon. Right. Like you don't have to be a Baptist to say, that's a really, really bad idea. <laughs> you, you, you just, you shouldn't have that. And, <clears throat> the other uh, secondary one I find is just entertainment in general. Like it's so, so much of what I think Christians are inured to now. Um, our grandparents and great grandparents would have been horrified by because the culture is so hypersexualized to become very desensitized. And I find guys and girls are unwilling to give up their favorite TV show, um, like their favorite movies, etc., and the level of sensuality that's present in most mainstream entertainment, in my view, in a pornified culture. And I know I sound like a Luddite, um, but I, I, I'm increasingly convinced that a lot of this stuff should just get cut out completely. What are your guys' thoughts? Oh, man. Totally, totally with you on that. I feel like, again, it's a mark of repentance to say that you're like to be willing to take the consequences of your sin. And I just think like a lot of these shows, humor, like make humor out of sexuality and, and turn it into a norm. And I think that is more subtly insidious than we actually realize. These are things that I've had to cut out of my life. Again, just knowing that's part of my story. I am not strong enough to live with these things in my life. 
and just for the sake of wisdom, for the sake of my own holiness, I need to just cut these things out. And entertainment is absolutely one of the ones that is just, I see most regularly not being cut out. I think there's also, there's, there's kind of a couple things here. There's good, benign, normal things like having the Gmail app on your phone that for many people, you can live without that. You know how, like (laughs) we produced a documentary and where we had to send bazillions of emails and the entire time Jamichael did not have Gmail on his phone. We survived. Like you can do that. And (laughs) Gmail on your phone is a perfectly rational thing to do. I have it on my phone because that's not part of my particular struggle in, in this narrow sense. Jamichael doesn't. And it's because we, and it's hard to convince people why this stuff is necessary from a couple of guys on a podcast. But if you're part of a community, like an accountability group, a church community, where you're walking alongside each other and you're with people who are meshed in your life and are committed to integrity, that person's going to be able to say to you, hey, I know you pretty well. I've had a bourbon with you every once in a while, but I'm going to point my finger at that. Like, like using your example, I've noticed that you stumble pretty frequently after we have a drink. And you're not getting plastered, but is it that like that laxness that comes afterwards? Let's talk about that. Do you need to cut that out of your life? I want to walk alongside you for that. And so like, again, we're not like we're, we grew up like with alcohol being consumed responsibly. So we're not, you know, the Baptist in that sense, but it's like, no, if that is a stumbling block for you, if that leads you to a place of temptation, cut it out of your life. I know for me, um, there's many TV shows that I think are probably fine. And I think in good conscience, I could watch them, but are not wise for me because I know like, you know, the storylines with romance and stuff like that. I just don't want to put my headspace in that kind of area. Even if for another person, it could be good. And I can make those, those choices in community who can speak into my life and say, Jacob, we've walked alongside you for a while. We know your struggles. We know different things. I don't know if that's going to be wise for you. I think this is like Galatians six, verse two, carry each other, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, fulfill the law of Christ. This is, this is why accountability is so necessary. It takes sometimes other people's being able to look into your situation and say that keeps happening every week. We're going to help you as your friends, cut that out and keep you accountable to cutting that out. And there's, I think it's just, those trends become obvious over time as the unique things that set you up to fail in your week. And that is going to be, that's going to require a personal reference. And, and to cap it off on some like very practical things, it's like, just to say it, you don't need Instagram on your phone. You don't need TikTok. You don't need the Facebook app. You can absolutely live without any of the social medias on your phone because most likely that is how you're getting pornography. So one of the cleanest, easiest ways we can say, get all of those off your phone. You don't need them. You can absolutely live without them. It's a hard thing to say that. I like Instagram. There's cool stuff on Instagram. I, I, I think the app is a cool thing. You don't need it. You know what I mean? So you can both uphold like the usefulness and, and enjoyability of social media and also clearly say, get it off your phone if it's a problem for you. If it's at all a temptation, mix it. The, the 20 bucks for, for Truple or Covenant Eyes that you pay every month is worth what it adds to your battle against sin and for your sanctification. Just spend the money. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's interesting because I, I, I was wondering, did you become, throughout your research and your conversation, more radical about a lot of things? Because I find increasingly like digital reality, like reality as, as, as kind of uh, conveyed to us through screens, replacing embodied reality is something that I'm more and more and more suspicious of. Um, and the reason I'm suspicious of it is just because I look at the number of problems that our communities collectively face now that all mm. trace back to this thing that didn't really <clears throat> exist in these forms like 10 or 15 years ago, like didn't exist at all when I was born. And it's just like, it's like, well, we need it for all of these things. And yet here's what it introduces, right? Like I've even said this, I was talking to one guy too. And so like, I don't know, him and his wife really like this TV show. And he's like, yeah, you know, is it, is this like a really good idea for me? And I'm like, you know what? Like your grandparents probably would have thought it was insane for you to stare at yeah. somebody, a female that you found attractive for however many seasons, like like literally tens upon tens of hours, where it, you, it would just be considered advisable by any Christian at any time in human history to stare at somebody else you thought was really attractive for that period of time, even if it's totally unobjectionable and everybody's fully dressed and there's nothing obviously you know blasphemous or obscene about it, right? There's just some of these things where I think we've accepted a lot of these things that are enabling the problems we're discussing, and then a TV show that might be perfectly fine with regards to all of the major things that, you know, focus on the family or plugged in.com would, would yeah. point out that, that maybe, maybe just maybe it's not healthy for us to spend that much time gazing at somebody who was in our spouse that we find attractive. I don't know. What do you guys think about it? For sure. For sure. And it does, it takes, it takes reflection to come to these conclusions. Like it takes Again, I feel like we're we're ringing the same bell, but it's like if you have, if you're enmeshing yourself in a church community with serious accountability, these are the kinds of conversations you can put out there for brothers and sisters to be able to kind of bounce back at you and talk through that. And you can have an hour long conversation about the nuances of this, like you know, and and have people say, "Hey, I want to look you in the eyes and say I love you enough." to want to push you towards just that next level of integrity and holiness by saying, yeah, you can get away with watching that TV show. You, you can, but is this walking in lockstep with the spirit? Like, is this pushing you towards holiness? And it's really exciting to be part of communities who are really passionate about telling you, no, you don't need it. Delete it. You don't need to watch it. Let's, uh, let's go do something like wholesome instead. You know what I mean? I think that's just even how the Bible talks about like how we should be, think about the Christian life. Like Hebrews 12, lay aside every weight and the sin. Like, so it's mm -hmm. both of those things as separate. It's just like lay aside anything, even if it's quote unquote neutral or not a big deal, just lay aside these things that the time you spend watching all these movies or pornography could be spent on so many other things that are so much better for your soul or for your responsibilities around you. And like, so I, I have this tracker that keeps track how many days that I've been clean from pornography that I've had for a long time. And one of the cool things that does is it can say, how much time did you use to spend every day on this addiction? And then it keeps track of like, since how long you've been free of how much time you've saved. And I've saved over a 40 hour work week of straight watching pornography since getting free by God's grace. That's insane. Like, and I, I think just like people should do the math on the amount of time that you spend and even just pick something neutral like movies that you watch in your week 
Think about what you could have been spending all that time on and what you've been feeding your soul. But I under, I also, I'm sympathetic too, because, you know, it's, it's really easy for me to say, you should pick up Dostoevsky. He's a great Russian novelist. And that's just like that kind of book. A, a good piece of literature will enthrall me. I love that. That's my vibe. You know what I mean? But I understand why like some of these that like that's not appealing to people. On the flip side, I understand why social media is appealing in the sense of there's very fascinating, genuinely cool content. Like um, the TikTok music community is really cool. There's a lot of interplay people. Like there's people who mix over each other's work. There's lots of genuine creativity that I understand why I would, I can stand in front of a crowd and make a case for like why God is glorified through this creation of music. And it's, that's generated through this app. I can also say in clear conscience that like that is not worth the risk and temptation and the other stuff that goes with that app for many, many, many people, you know what I mean? And so it's like, I feel like the case against you know, having TikTok is made stronger if you can also articulate why it is an attractive technology and why there is good elements to it, because then you know what exactly it is you're dealing with. And then you can say, cut it out, because if it's impeding your walk with Christ in any way, it's not worth it. No, that's that, interesting. That, because Does that resonate with you? Yeah, no, and I agree with you. My argument against against TikTok and a couple of these things would mainly be that those who are getting addicted are using it the way the creators intended it to be used. Right, right. right. It, it was created for the specific purpose of hooking those who used it. And so that has been one of my frustrations with some of the conversations um, about about um, like the way Christians should interact with some of these things is they don't recognize that when you're like, here, kids, just use this responsibly, manage your time properly. When your kid gets hooked, it's not because he or she is a bad kid. It's not because he or she just isn't mature enough to learn time management. It's because the creators of these apps are neuroscientists making six figures. <clears throat> and as such, it's really unfair to expect a young kid to compete with a neuroscientist who was paid to hook them because they've literally hacked the human brain, which is what they say in their testimony to the Congress and all that. So it's just, I, I think I agree with you completely that these useful conversations are useful. I use social media um, to, to spread around the, the, the activism and the writing and the, and the presentations that we do. Um, at the same time, I feel like we can only have an honest conversation if we're open about what these apps were created to do the effect that they're very likely going to have, because I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, there I went again. I'm still not discerning properly. I'm still not proper at time management. I'm so bad at this. And they really beat themselves up. I'm like, it's not you. It's the app. <laughs> like, that's totally. how it functions. Man, also, I want to I qualify what I said. Age plays a huge thing. Yeah, your, your 12-year-old is not. No way. There's no way. For whatever, whatever redeeming value you can eke out of Instagram, if you want to have that conversation... It's certainly not having a 12 year old is certainly not having that like redemptive value time conversation with the app. It's exactly what you said. It's it sucks you in. And they're they built it for that. 100%. Well, it's, if you guys, I don't know if you guys have ever read the work of Samuel D. James. Um, if you haven't, you should, because he's an evangelical writer in the U.S. and he does a lot of writing on technology. He's got a book uh, coming out called Digital Liturgies this year. And I've been reading a lot of the research he's been doing that he's been putting out in his Substack. And one of the things he talks about is the porn shaped brain, which you can have, even if you've never been hooked on porn, it's because of the mm -hmm. way the internet 
like basically transform your brain to want instant dopamine hits, you know, constant satisfaction, constant novelty. And so he says, you may never have been addicted to pornography, but still have a porn shaped brain because your brain's contours and its neuroplasticity has literally been shaped um, by, by the internet. And that brings me into what I think would be a very logical follow-up to your documentary. Um, I, I totally understand why there would have been no space for this, but you admit, you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation too that marriage was one thing that you could look at. And this is one of the things I find the toughest uh, in terms of conversations because uh, a lot of guys who have been addicted to porn tell me it's very difficult for us to know now what in our mind, what we're thinking of, even with spontaneous romance, what was shaped by pornography and what's shaped mm. by my, my actual affections. How has pornography changed the way I think? How do I need to be on guard? And then you also have a lot of people who are in relationships who have porn-shaped brains and are willing to be pushy about, ask for things. I hear this every single time I give a presentation in every single church. Is it inside marriages the ideas, the ideology, the behaviors and practices that have become mainstreamed by pornography, even in our communities, are, are are like are turning a lot of marriages into the sexual hunger games. They're essentially turning things into warfare, and that is mm. something that I do. Your guys's documentary was very badly needed, and there wouldn't have been space to deal with this topic properly. And it's better not to deal with it at all if you can't deal with it properly. But I think that one yeah. of the things that churches desperately need right now are open conversations about the extent to which mar modern Christian marriage is shaped by pornography and how pervasive and poisonous that's been. And like, for example, like basic theological concepts like, you know, submission, which people get inside of marriage now means something totally different to a generation weaned on pornography. So there are theological terms that older pastors will use that are not being interpreted in the benches the way they think they are. And this is something thing like when somebody uh, you know I, I talked to one one after he gave a presentation he used the word submission I'm like you're using this as this beautiful thing as Matthew Henry would say the man is the head and the woman is the crown and she is the glory of the glory and all these theological things they're hearing the S and BDSM which is a mainstream porn thing that everybody sees if they've ever ended up on Pornhub they've seen it and this is being used inside marriages to say like this you are responsible for fulfilling my needs this is a huge conversation that's not happening yeah, absolutely. It's, I think this is, again, takes humility because I, and, and a recognition that my expectations have been shaped more by pornography than they have, but what, by what the Bible says or by good marriages around me. And so I totally agree with what you're saying. I think one of the, just the core foundational things as far as an action item is get wisdom from other people and, and just say, look, I, I don't even know what to think. My, I don't trust my own desires here. I, I want to get the wisdom of other people into my life and walk into this with humility, love, and respect to my partner. I think those are just like really foundational, basic things to walk into that. And it is a huge problem. Cause yeah, you're, especially for the young person who's start at age five, eight, 10, whatever. This is a long time before getting into marriage. So your perception of sexuality has been so shaped by pornography. And especially when most kids don't get the talk. And if they do, they get one, you know, 30 minute, really awkward conversation that you kind of block out. So, so pornography filled a vacuum. Your sex education has now been shaped by porn. Yeah. I, um, 
I would love it if we could tackle the marriage conversation. I like, especially creating video resources for that. That's not next on our slate. Um, I would love it if it, if it is, and we want to have some more conversations about that. Um, what is next on our slate is um, parental resources. So we're in the, we're in the process of like, we're kind of in the, in the, in the brainstorming writing and then fundraising process of looking at like kind of with the same insight, like parents don't always have the time. If you got a couple of kids running around, you don't have the time to read extensively on the pornography problem. But if we want to create, we want to create a series of videos for parents on how to have this conversation with sexuality with your children, but then also the tech side of things, because a lot of parents don't necessarily know what a VPN is. They don't know how Disney circle works, how common eyes works. You just bought the $40 packet for your kid's smartphone. You don't realize that with the data versus Wi-Fi conference, like there's, there's so many kind of, and I don't want to insult the parents who know exactly what I'm talking about, but I, we have talked to many parents who love Jesus, who are really want to parent their kids well, who don't know how any of the tech side of things work. And that needs to be paired with a really thoughtful, under, like biblical walkthrough of how to teach your kids about sexuality from a young age, not having a talk, but many conversations about sexuality in age appropriate categories but then that needs to be paired with, let's just boots on the ground. What does it look like to, to block access so your kids can go as long as they can before ever having to encounter pornography, knowing that they will eventually? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean what are your thoughts on that? No, I, I think that's brilliant. I, this is why I'm nodding along. I'm one of those. I actually hate technology because I'm more the kind of guy who likes the Dostoevsky books that you refer to. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but so like I'm the kind of parent who would literally use those resources. I just have covenant eyes and, you know, my my friend controls it on my phone. On our We basically made it a company policy a few years ago that if you're on staff um, at the pro-life organization I work with, you all, everybody has to have it on their devices. Love the that. Company, and the company pays for it. So it's like you 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 come on staff and you get it on your devices, but you don't actually have to pay for it. We pay for it, so there's no excuses. Um, we do that right away. But the reason that I, I, brought, I really had brought up uh, like the marriage thing, one, it's because that's so many of the conversations that I have, but two, because your, your documentary is... I suspect already blowing up a conversation that is going to lead to obvious next questions, which mm. is, okay, this is all true. And you guys really emphasize all like your speakers throughout it really do emphasize very effectively throughout this that like, you know, even when you're forgiven for these things, this does not change what pornography has done to you. It does not change the consequences in your life. Like the documentary does mm. a very good job of highlighting that. And what I find, and I'd be interested to know what you guys think is there's a generational divide and this is what I mean. Like I've heard speeches from pastors. I have heard things said that are 100% true that made me cringe because I knew how other people were hearing it because they're speaking these things that might be true, but they're speaking them without considering that the generation under 30 has been shaped by pornography. They don't know how a wife trapped in pornography is going to hear that. They don't know how a husband whose sexual tastes have been shaped by pornography and is asking his wife to do certain things is going to hear what he says about submission or this or that. And so what they're saying might be objectively true, absolutely true. And at the same time, that is not how people who, whose brains have been shaped by this are hearing it. And so there's a, a natural follow-up um, um, question, which is if it is true that the culture of the church has now been shaped by pornography, which I think it is, what does that mean for how we properly 
minister to people who are addicted and have been? What does this mean for our marriage courses? What does this mean for how we teach people how to parent? What does this mean about how we teach like men and women to communicate with each other, how to forgive, mm-hmm. how, how to know what to let go at? Um, with how not, do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like your documentary is actually just kicking open a door that leads to a hallway filled with other rooms. Yeah. And then even I'll add to that list, like dating, the whole dating conversation is like, you want another can of worms to throw into the, to the conversation. I don't know. I I have a couple thoughts. Jermichael, you want to, yeah, I just think there, like you're saying, this is a hallway with all sorts of doors down them. And as you said before as well, to try to hit all of them, like you can't do all at the same time. Each one takes its own wisdom, specific counsel uh, to address it. And that's, that's tough to say to families, to pastors, because it, it does take work, but the reality is this is infesting every area of your church, parents, kids, older, younger, it is everywhere. So this is just a vital topic for pastors, leaders, and, and really everybody to be reading on, studying up on because you need to understand this um if we could if the good lord would bless us with the funds we'll happily try to create resources <laughs> for every one of these categories uh, obviously we're not there yet um the kind of thing that that made me what i thought of when you were hitting us with that question is every church is going to be at a different part of the conversation you know what i mean and you know this way better than we do like you're going to talk to some churches that are just stonewall. Like, nah, not a problem. And then you're going to talk to a church that's like, I think is more ready for our particular resource, which is it's a problem. We want to deal with it. But like, man, we really need a resource to kind of start that conversation off, get every, our whole church on the same page, kind of get some of these really good categories in people's mind so that we can then launch a few small groups and we can then, you know, kind of start getting our church in a good place. I think that's where, that's where we've positioned this documentary. And then there's churches who are like, yo, yo, we've been boots on the ground. We've been dealing with this for years and years. We know our church, we talk about this. And then they would be more interested in resources like, okay, how do I fine tune my preaching for that generation? How do we really, really model and work our men's and women's ministries in order to like, in order to best suit wives who are broken from um, husband's pornography use. Like you need to be dealing with that anyways, but maybe that's not the first thing you need to deal with when you don't even want to say the word pornography from the pulpit. Like you got to get that out of the way first before you're really ready to deal with the wife that's been broken by her husband's porn use. I mean, I don't want to pit those against each other. You should be doing them at the same time, but that's also a lot to ask of a church. So, I mean, on that particular topic, a plug for for Jenny Solomon's book, uh, Reclaim Your Marriage. It's an awesome resource for wives who have been hurt by their husband's porn use. Just want to throw that out there. But like, man, yeah, it kicks open the door to a long hallway with a lot of doors. And there's, it's a huge conversation, which is why you've made, you know, so much of your work around this for so long because it just never really ends. Yeah, I, I don't mean to keep on chucking hand grenades at you guys, but but because again, I thought the, the documentary is phenomenal. But it like so much was like, oh, like the underlying the underlying point being made here is that this is going to take a lot of hard work 
in addition to spiritual discipline, all hard work. And it's like, okay, they stopped talking there. What about the next thing? Right. And because this is such a big problem, I'm just genuinely, I'm just genuinely excited that people are talking about it. Like I'm excited that this resource exists and that people are able to watch it because this needs to be a collective conversation in every single community because it's affecting every single thing. One of my buddies always says pornography poisons everything it touches. And so Mm. when you look at how pervasive it's been in our communities, you have to look at the amount of things that have been poisoned and church communities don't survive without healthy families and healthy marriages and all these things. And so pornography is literally, it's in the groundwater. It's if, if you don't deal with it, you don't have a community in a, in a decade or two, or you, or you have an end, like a community filled with quiet people hiding their poisoned, um, you know, mm. like they're, they're sort of poisoned relationships. And I've seen a lot of that too, as I'm sure you guys have. Yeah. And leadership too. You're not going to have a pastor on the pulpit who's going to call out sin as he sees it and radically encourage his congregation to holiness if he's dealing with a porn addiction in the background. So top down, you're just your your church is withering. And like I want to have the appropriate amount of sympathy for that, right? He's he's a sinner, he's a struggler, but also like the the standards for leadership in Timothy are very clear and they do not include room for any level of porn use whatsoever. Yeah, I would say it's like I got very like after five or six years of doing these talks, I got very tired of using the phrase "I'm struggling with porn," and I'm like, mm. you shouldn't be struggling; you should be fighting. If you're fighting, you're sometimes falling. That is very different than I'm struggling, but I still don't have covenant eyes. I'm struggling, but I don't have an accountability partner. And then I kind of realized that as the guy who you know came in and did the presentation, they would spill their guts to me for catharsis. Like they would mm. tell me all these things, feel better about having told somebody, but they didn't tell somebody who could be like, sorry, dude, you don't get to take your laptop in your room, right? Like they told somebody who couldn't hold them accountable. And they did that because, oh, I feel so much better having talked about this, but I didn't talk about it with somebody who will actually make sure that my walk changes. That That's why I'm like the documentary in its full hour and 22 minutes form is really good for initiating the conversation and introducing someone into it. But I really hope, and we actually have already had over 40 small groups signing up to use it in the form of an episode series. So it's, it's the same content, but it's just broken into six episodes. And right now we're writing discussion questions to kind of like dig into it even more. But that's great because then you're with other people from your church or your community. You're doing it over a little bit of a longer time. You're building those relationships. And it's it's not just like watch it, feel guilty, and then move on. Or maybe tell one person, get it off your chest and then move on. Like it's actually bringing into the boots on the ground working then. Kind of, it kind of, a lot of the stuff, I feel like we're hitting a lot of the same themes here because the two things that remind me is like the thing we've said, we've been saying the whole time is hard work. It's hard work. It's, I, it's hard work for us still. Sometimes I don't want to drag my butt to accountability on Monday nights. I don't, I'd rather do other things, but I'm going to do it because I need it in my life because I know, because I've, by God's grace, had a good look at my own sin. And I know that I need those guys in my life long-term for the long haul to keep pushing me toward accountability. But then I'm thinking of the social media conversation you had. And if you've been training yourself with these dopamine hits for ease and quickness, it's militating you against this idea of a long slog of hard work of accountability of guys, you know, of what that means for you to fight sin for that length of time. And and just time, like you start, if you, if you're in part of regular accountability, you start clocking the amount of hours that that's going to take in your year. It's significant. 
Like it's work and it is easier to just tell that, you know, speaker that you struggle with pornography, feel better about it, and then not actually do the uncomfortable work of telling someone you respect that you struggle, but you should do it because it's, it's hard to articulate, but it's so important how incredible it is to live without porn in your life. Like uh, being able to walk down the halls of school, being able to walk into your job, being able to fall asleep, to wake up at night and say, I like did this with integrity. I am not watching pornography. I'm to the best of my ability living in holiness is such an incredible thing. And it just promotes gratitude towards God for the work he's done. And yeah, I want to work on how to sell that better because it's just this good news that you can, you can live without porn in your life. And it's really great when you do, and it's worth the work. Absolutely. That's why I think Matthew five, eight, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall Mm. see God is such a helpful orienting scripture because if you read it carefully, purity is not an end. It's a means to an end, which is seeing Christ, seeing God more clearly. And I think sometimes we put the discussion of fighting pornography or just fighting for purity in the sort of lens where it's like purity is the goal. It's like that purity is a good, but it, it is just a means to the end of seeing Christ more clearly and living in consistent integrity and faithfulness to him. So I just think that's always important. If we're, if our eyes are set just on legalistic purity, we're actually ending up at a bad end. And we've set up an, an idol that, that we're pursuing rather than pursuing God in faithful obedience and love. Final question. Where can all of the listeners track down your work? Uh, what, how, how can they watch the documentary? I know you guys did other interviews. How can they find those? Point them all in the right direction. Absolutely. Um, into the light documentary.com. You can stream it for free. It was, it's free because last summer we raised $85,000 from hundreds of incredibly generous Christians across North America, but particularly in, in Niagara, Ontario, um, just some wonderful saints there. And they supported this so that it's free for streaming for churches, for people's use. So into the light documentary.com. And then Almost all our social medias are the same thing at Into the Light Documentary. Um, not that we can particularly encourage people to get Instagram in order to follow us, but if you happen to have that, you could do worse than going to watch some of these videos on on Heath Lambert, you know, telling you to, to pursue righteousness because so those are those are good things you should watch. And it's on our website that we will have these uh, leaders guides and questions. The episode series is on there. The full documentary, um, and if you want to support future parent resources, or hopefully down the road, some, something for marriages, you can make a donation on our website as well. And again, that's into the light documentary.com. Ladies and gentlemen, that was my conversation with Jacob Volt and John Michael Bout on their documentary Into the Light. Thank you so much for listening to us this week. We do hope you'll head over to lifesightnews.com, click on the podcast tab. You can subscribe to our show there where you can check out past conversations and get future conversations delivered to you. Thanks for joining us this week, and we do hope you'll join us again next week. Bye for now.